0: Hi, I'm Steph Sword-Williams, and I'm the founder and author of Foot Being Humble, and I beat the often path by challenging the world of self-promotion.
1: Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories to help us all radically redefine success in our own lives and to help us find that unique and crazy path towards success that is not often talked about in the lamestream media. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Steph Sword-Williams, a woman who has quickly risen to prominence as the creator of the concept, Fuck Being Humble. So yes, be warned, kids and cadets, that this episode will contain a lot of swears. Now, if that's an issue for you, well, you know what to do. After working for seven years in advertising, rising to the director level, Steph decided to apply her skills towards a problem she witnessed all around her in the UK. People were simply too afraid to stand up for themselves in the workplace and they were too humble to self-promote. This is in a time when people were losing jobs left and right and careers were really unstable. Her focus on empowerment, inclusion, and self-actualization brought her to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and she's delivered speeches for some of the biggest companies in the world. She's the author of the book, Fuck Being Humble, and her story shows us all the power of what can happen when you tap into the right idea at the right time with seven years of skills to back it up. So buckle up, folks. Here's Steph Sword-Williams. I, for one, welcome the opportunity to say fuck about 100 times in a podcast. So I have to tick that explicit box when I upload this episode. That's it. But anyways, (laughs) tell us about what's your story? What's your life's arc? How did you come across your concept and idea?
0: So, as I mentioned, I'm the founder and author of book Being Humble. Um, I also want to say I actually don't swear that much when <laughs> I do my presentations. I think people think I'm like this tacky millennial brand that has that just thrown a swear word in there, and that's going to be the thing that um, sells the product. But genuinely, I, I try not to swear because I think the name does it itself. Um, in terms of how I got into building the business, I worked in advertising for seven years. And I learned a lot about storytelling and how important it is and how much of an impact it can have both on big businesses, but also how important it is for individuals. And I felt like there was a huge gap in really targeting the individual storytelling side of things. So, you know, self-promotion as a word, particularly in the UK, is very much frowned upon. Um, You know, people don't want to associate themselves with it. They are worried about people seeing them self-promote and they they panic about the perception that will be given or they'll receive as, as a follow on from self-promoting. So I knew that there was a, a space that needed to be filled to break down that that myth and that narrative that we're not allowed to self-promote or you can only self-promote when you are 50 years old and you've got Thirty year's experience under your belt, I really stand against that. And I really try and help people to see that you can wait your entire life hoping that people will celebrate you and spot your amazing talent. Or you can tell that story yourself and people can see it much quicker and you can see much quicker business results so that's sort of the context as to how and why I started Fuck Being Humble. And, and also because so many people needed help and they just do not know where to find it. I think there are a lot of personal branding businesses out in the world, but I don't think there's many that speak with the same tone as Foot Being Humble and that kind of tackle it with and a self-awareness, um, emotional intelligence and also just being down to earth with the fact that of course, it's cringy. And of course, you're going to feel awkward at times. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth trying to find the best format to suit your own form of self-promotion.
1: That makes perfect sense. And in the order of your own life, how did that? What came first? Did you write the book first? Did you come up with the idea first? Did you quit your job first or build success before you quit your job?
0: Uh, None of the above. I basically started being humble as a side hustle and I really my main objective was to make networking events not shit because particularly in the UK people don't want to go to them none of my friends wanted to go to them people would say I just don't do networking which to me would literally be baffling because it has been so instrumental in transforming my career that yes, the labels of introvert or extrovert could hold you back from networking, but it shouldn't be something that stops you from even attending networking events. And I knew that with the right ingredients, I could create an event format that could both educate people on how to self-promote, but could also change the expectation of what it's like to network. So for a lot of people, they think they're just going to be in a room of you know, shit suits and, you know, old men talking about how great they are. And and I actually think there's so many different ways that we can network and, and tell our stories and connect with people. So at the core of what I wanted to do was really just build amazing events that people could learn from, they could be inspired from and they could be motivated by. So I really had no objective to ever be an author. Um, And I never I never honestly felt that was in my trajectory. Nobody had ever celebrated me for my writing. No one had ever said that I have a future in that space. And I, you know, maybe I personally, I'm a speaker. I know I could talk for England or for any country. I, I can talk very well. And I always have been able to public speak. My dad would say I've been public speaking since I was about four. But writing is not necessarily something that I saw myself doing but also that anybody ever told me I I could or I would so originally it just started with the objective to host really cool events in East London which is where I lived and worked and to see where it went from there and within months of launching Fuck Being Humble online before I kind of went out and hosted my first event it picked up a huge amount of press so I was in BBC World News I was in the Times I had Three to four publishers call me and say, do you want to write a book within you know, the first two months, which was crazy to me. And I hadn't even tested whether the idea was going to work. I hadn't run an event. I didn't know whether people were going to like what I had to say. All I'd done was written an article on LinkedIn called Why I've Started a Self-Promotion Platform, called Fuck Being Humble. And that went you know, viral in LinkedIn's world of going viral. And it really drummed up a lot of excitement and people were saying, I need to have you come speak at my conference and I need you to come give a workshop. And I was like quite overwhelmed because I hadn't had any sort of um, validation that the, what the contents in which I I was sharing was going to be go down so well, but what was amazing was the name and the article alone had that emotional connection with people. So that did give me, the inkling that actually there was huge potential in what I was building, which was really exciting, if, if not daunting. And then I, yeah, I launched my first event. I I started the business at the end of May, beginning of June, and I launched my first event in September. And it was you know a pretty modest event. And of forty people came. It was really, really amazing experience. I hosted a panel. I hosted a workshop. Really great feedback. About a month or two later, I hosted my second event and 60 people came. And then about two months, three months later, I hosted another event, which was all about navigating money. It was called Bitch Better Have My Money. And 180 people bought tickets. And that was all organic growth. And that was literally from September. And that event was in January. So I kind of realized, wow, this is building momentum so quickly and this advice that I'm giving is resonating with people people are gaining from it and there is there is an enjoyment and there is potential in this so I decided to call back up the publishers and say okay maybe I'm ready now like how how would this work what would this look like and I wrote a proposal between January and February I sent it off I remember because I went straight on a two-week holiday to Thailand which was desperately needed and I came back, and I got the book deal, and I had eight months to write the book whilst I was working full time and, and running Foot Being Humble. Um, so that was sort of the start of it. And I continued to run Foot Being Humble for two and a half years as a side hustle. And then two weeks before the pandemic in 2020, I quit my job and to be a public speaker. And all events got cancelled.
1: Oh man! So, <laughs> it
0: was a real journey. What it a was whirlwind. a real journey. Yeah, absolutely. But I think one of the important things to say is I wasn't ready to quit my job. I loved my job. I was in a really good place with it. I had a really good reputation. People respected me. I was at a good level. I liked having a good income and, you know, still getting my side hustle revenue on the side. I had a lot of people tell me, you should quit your job. Why haven't you quit yet? And I was like, I'm not ready. And I don't need you to tell me when I'm ready sort of thing um and it was it was although unfortunate timing um just before the pandemic it was also the right time for me mentally to throw everything into this business and make it work and actually i would say last year was probably one of the most successful years of the business so it has been a whirlwind it has been refreshingly surprising and i have so much gratitude for how far and quickly it's grown so far (laughs)
1: Today's episode on humility is brought to you by our sponsor, Katie's Humble Pie. Overstepped your bounds? Grab yourself a big ol' bite of Katie's Humble Pie. Fucked up at work? Better eat that humble pie. Family trouble? It's humble pie time, baby, with Katie's, the all-natural pie solution. And now, back to the show. So when it came to actually throwing your first event, what were the steps that you took to actually doing this? How did you make the first one a reality?
0: I actually love listening to old school R&B and hip hop. I saw that on uh, your page. I always have. have, And it has um, always, you know, influenced what nightclubs I would go to and what parties uh, I would dance at. But I remember listening to one of my many uh, R&B playlists and it had like even Gwen Stefani, Let Me Blow Your Mind. And it had... Rihanna bitch, but I have my money and it had all of these, you know, Missy Elliott, all of these like amazing women singing amazing songs. And I, as I was writing it, I always knew that the content of the workshops I wanted to create needed to have a link to culture. It needed to be fun. It needed to be exactly the opposite to what career development is now. I didn't want to build a brand called Shoot for the Stars and have shit visuals in it. I realize I've said shit a lot, so maybe I do swear. A (laughs) lot, but I didn't. I didn't want it to be filled with, like, I didn't want it to be a PowerPoint presentation with stock imagery and, you know, just everything being so expected. I I knew if I was going to take a build a business like Fuck Being Humble, I needed to challenge every touch point. And that really came to life through the content. So. If you attend my events, the way that I run them is they are workshops. So um, it's a 60-minute workshop, um, g- generally broken into four sections based on a specific theme. And at the end of each section, I'll say, right, you've got one minute to answer the next three questions. And the idea with that is that you actually leave my events ready to implement what you've learned. And I think that was a big part of planning the events was I didn't want to host another panel event that everybody's been to because even though they're amazing and inspiring, so often the people on the panels are 20 or 30 years older than you. Maybe they lived in a different country, maybe they had a different upbringing to you. And I think there's more than enough interview based events and podcasts and YouTube videos out there. But actually, the hard skills and the knowledge and the strategy on how to sell yourself isn't out there. So I think that was really planning out the format so that people left going, wow, that was amazing value for money. And also I need to go back for more. And I think I nailed that in the first event. And it's probably why it built up such a big word of mouth and people were recommending it to so many people. But Yeah, it was really about taking thinking about how I built the content and the presentations to be culturally relevant, fun, engaging, memorable. It fits into your lifestyle as opposed to some dry, boring content that you don't connect with. And then in terms of like planning it, it was very much like, okay, I know that a a chunk of the evening is going to be that, but I also do want to tell stories about other people. So I hosted an all-female panel um, that was, you know, Always diverse, and it always has been everything that I work on, and I'm very intentional about that. And then it was live Q and A at the end, and it was yeah, it was a it was a really great series. You know, I, I actually. When I talk about running events, and someone asked me recently, like, how did you get venues and stuff? Like, I would honestly walk around Shoreditch and walk into buildings that had cool space and then be like, Hi, I've just launched this business called Foot Being Humble. And I don't even have a business card right now, but this is what we're all about, and I'd really love to use your space. And I, I did do that every lunch break that I had until people said yes. And um, that's generally how I got all of my venues actually for free walking in, having those conversations. There are a lot of the spaces, were kind of co-working. So I would say, you know, you have 10 tickets for your members and I'll bring the rest in and I'm bringing an audience to you. So there was a lot of, you know, negotiating and finding sponsors and all of those things. But I definitely feel like it was the thing I I definitely missed the most during lockdown with those in-person connections and, and seeing the facial reactions of people at my events.
1: That's wonderful. So you quit, you make the decision to go all in pandemic happens lockdown happens what was your thought did you say oh shit or did you morph i mean did you panic or did you immediately think of solutions how did that part go
0: i think a blessing in disguise was was that idea around needing to build a challenger brand and ch- needing to challenge everything has actually been the thing that has i think grown my business so quickly and when the pandemic hit actually because my content was already workshop based, it was not hard for me to take it all online. And everybody kept saying to me, wow, you've done so well to pivot. And I was like, I actually didn't need to do that much. I bought a Zoom account, but my talks were ready to go. So I think whilst everybody was kind of flapping and figuring out how do we make everything online and how do we make it engaging? I, I would say my product was strong enough that it, it actually worked really well online and in some cases it works better because you're I'm able to reach more people you're able to do this from the comfort of your own home you can you know do it at lunchtime on your lunch break you know there it's it's short enough that people have enough time to digest it but it's enough content and impact that you feel like you're still gaining even if you're not in the room Mm. and that was a really big point for me that I realized I saw not my competitors but maybe my peers it slowed them down, whereas I was ready and I just moved everything online and it was good to go. I also noticed I had already been public speaking with corporate talks. I do a lot of talks. My clients range from Unilever to Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, ASOS, lots of different brands. I go in and give employee engagement sessions. And I really noticed that a lot of people needed that, you know, companies couldn't have external speakers. One thing that I did immediately struggle with was I lost six months worth of business. So I did exactly what everyone tells you to do. Go line up six months worth of business before you, you, you quit your job, you know, and I did that. And and almost all, all of the work got cut because learning and development budgets did get cut quite quickly. It was only maybe this year or the back end of last year that I start seeing that pick up. but. One of the things that I noticed was probably the best move for me was, and it's always been something that's been present in my brand, which I'm proud of, is really listening to what people needed. So, jobs were a huge crisis. Like that was, you had to be living under a rock to not see that everybody needed jobs advice. So, I had talks on how to self promote, how to network, how to make more money. But actually, those talks weren't what people really needed. They people weren't getting pay rises, they're quite the opposite, you know, they were being made redundant. So instead it was like, okay, I made a free talk on CVs made easy. And each week I was getting thousands of people sign up. And that was crazy. It was like, I went from running events for 40 people to thousands of people. And that was a big, big eye opener that I needed to recreate. I needed to create new talks. I needed to create new workshops that was answering the needs of my audience right now. Um, So I created more than a grad, which was like a course to help students start their own side hustles and businesses i actually have turned that into side hustle school now and in the past just over a year 700 people have gone through the course and the training so that's been a really amazing uh, process and universities book me to run that for their students now and you know when i think about some of the things that are still present some of the talks that i wrote last year during the pandemic they're like my best selling talks and my workshops that corporates come to me for now. So I think whilst there was, you know, there were inevitable moments where I was like, oh, this is stressful. This isn't what I quit my job for. There wasn't panic that there wasn't the demand there because there really was. You know, it couldn't have been. And I mean this in the most um, kind of like in, not in a disrespectful way at all, but like there couldn't have been a better time to run a business around career development. Mm it was about really listening to the market and what people needed. And, and that, that is what I'm really proud of, the growth of last year, because I was forced to look at the business in a different way to what I had been prior. And I don't think I'd have grown as quickly. So I had three talks on rotation that I was going around delivering. I now have 15 talks that I can offer different businesses or communities or universities. And that really is that, that awareness of, right, this is time to build a product for the times as opposed to what I think people need.
1: And how did you first get started with those corporate gigs, those speaking gigs? Did they approach you or did you do outreach? How did you get in that circuit?
0: So I always knew, um, you know, I've always loved speaking and working in advertising. I thought I would get to do more of it. I was always pitching and presenting and I did a lot of that at university as well. And I really liked that aspect of it, but I knew that I maybe wasn't going to get the opportunity to talk about the things I wanted or only ever advocate for the business I worked for. So I did have this realization where I was like, if I can do what I want, public speaking is one of those things like to get paid to speak. Like that is my ultimate, ultimate dream. That's my dream as Um, well.
1: Yes. That's why I'm trying to soak all the knowledge from you. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Again, I don't want to say I was lucky because I think I've worked bloody hard to be where I am. Sounds and like I it. have built a strategic business. It wasn't an accident that I called my business Fuck Being Humble. But when I think about the uh, business that I have generated, it, a lot of it's been incoming. And I do think that is because of the strength of the brand that I've built. And that is obviously my expertise. That is what I spent seven years learning and understanding. So, a lot of the requests I get from my corporate clients, they are they are incoming, they are high. Somebody attended one of your community events that you ran and they said it was amazing and we have to book you for a workshop because it's changed their life. Or somebody that I know recommended you. I get a lot of referrals, which is amazing. And But I think that really to start with it was that that article on LinkedIn. Like, I Honestly, I can't believe how much traction it gained and I say this to so many people I was like it took me 30 minutes to write that article I'm pretty sure there's a typo or two in there Um, it wasn't you know my m- most epic writing but I wrote a piece of content about a subject area that I was going into and I put it on a platform that it could have been more appropriate for and all of those things aligning at once as well as the timing I think people were getting a bit bored of the like boss babe millennial Huns, you know, badass bitch talk. And this is like, you know, foot being humble is gender neutral. Like it attracts more women, yes, but it's gender neutral intentionally. So, yeah, I, I, a lot of it was, you know, I, I've always had an Instagram account. I would say I'm an Instagram brand. It started with an Instagram post. And I think that has really helped because. Whilst you know, I I I try and look at it like B two C and B two B, but actually my B two C are my B two B. So if somebody follows me on Instagram because they love my content, they could also be working at Dot Martins and be like, right, you need to come and give a talk at Dot Martins. You know, like it all it works as an infrastructure, and that's why I was quite um, mindful of really nailing one to two social media. Uh, account so Instagram and LinkedIn is where I've invested my time rather than trying and spread myself thin so yeah I, I think it was it was definitely the name always catches people attention people's attention like I literally had a call recently with someone who said okay love the name you've got my attention now sell me your products and actually for so many people just getting that initial call is so hard to get True. in so I think the strength is definitely in the brand and the visual aesthetic and the tone and the assets that I created for marketing on different channels, and it really it, they've come to me, which has been a real a real luxury, and I know how, how privileged I am to actually have that as as a story for me. Don't get me wrong, I've definitely pitched out to businesses, and some have been successful, some haven't simply having a really strong presentation or credentials document that you can send out. That would be my big tip to anyone listening. Make sure the marketing materials you have you are really proud of. Because I used to not like the document that I'd created because I designed it and it wasn't very good. And it was all a bit, but once I paid for it to get done properly by a designer I and I to really ask. invested into making this PDF that was solid. I'm so excited to send it out now. And I like literally anybody I speak to, I'm like, yeah, I'll send you my workshop pack. Whereas before I was like, oh, I'm worried because that's a big brand. And what are they going to think of the layout and page 13 looks a bit rubbish, you know, like silly time was wasted uh, worrying about those things when actually it was much more important for me to get it done properly so that I could do what I tell people to do and self-promote confidently.
1: I was going to ask, yeah, because your book looks looks spectacular. I love the look of it, the feel of it. It's it's really quite nice. I was going to ask you how you got it designed. So you hired a professional designer to do that part of it?
0: So I, again, I was talking to someone about this recently who's going on a similar journey. And I said, look, for the first year of running Foot Being Humble, I designed the brand. And I designed, I, I understand Photoshop and in design at university. I wouldn't say it's my strength, but I know how to do it to a point. And that was enough to get me talks at Unilever and Guardian and some big brands, you know, like I, it wasn't, again, it wasn't, and again, I'm proud of that because it's not, it wasn't just a visual aesthetic thing. It was obviously the substance behind it was enough to carry it. But I eventually got to a point where I was like, no, it needs more development. I asked a friend, did mates rates. He did like a version of it and we got to a nice evolution of it. But then I like there were just things that you've realized when you're growing a business of like, oh, I need to do an Eventbrite banner and I need the logo to sit there. But what about if I'm doing a podcast? And, you know, as you build your brand and you start to need different parts of your brand, you really do have to evolve it. So it was this time last year, I actually did a proper rebrand where I paid someone a substantial amount of money. Um, It was actually a, a designer fresh out of uni because I always try and support rising talent. And I saw her Instagram. I loved her work. I didn't even ask for a CV. I didn't look at her portfolio. I looked at her Instagram and I was like, I want this. And she's been my ongoing designer since Uh, I get her again. I do stuff in the interim, but she'll set styles for me and then I can kind of take that out and build it out further. The book was actually designed by a book designer, but I have obviously had a big Saying it probably more so than they were used to. Um, they, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about the shading of that that color or that font, or you know, I was very active in that that decision making. But that was a designer taking on the brand that I'd built and interpreting it that way. And I'm I'm really glad you like the cover because I do. I was really nervous that it was too bold, and I mean that because foot being humble in its name is bold enough, and it's already quite. I don't want to say abrasive but bold essentially and I know I was worried that the type was too big that it was too in your face it was too bold in that way in a negative way but actually the reception's been great and I I, like I was the one who said it needs to be baby blue because when you look at career development books there are no baby blue books and that would work really well and you know like it was a lot of like how can we make this work? So once I'd got over the fact that the type was very large and it was going to be quite a yes. in your face cover, it was um, yeah, I'm really proud of it now. And it, it looks beautiful. It's a coffee table book as well. Like I'm I'm super happy with how it turned out.
1: It looks spectacular. Yeah. I definitely noticed the visual <laughs> style right away. It's 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 quite awesome. Um so yeah, you know, it's funny, but you're you're writing the coach. I mean, obviously, like Mark Manson, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. All of these things are in the zeitgeist at the moment. So I think it's not abrasive at all. But I do wonder, is this a cultural thing? Because I've heard it said before from people in the UK that, you know, the American style, the quote unquote American style is too self-promotional, too abrasive. And I think typical British people recoil from a lot of things that are normal in America. Do you think that this problem is something that is more unique to the UK or is it global?
0: I always said, if I can crack the UK market, I will be flying in every other market because we are so cynical. We are so pessimistic. It is not ingrained in us at all. And actually to have the success that I've had in the UK market, I, I have to pinch myself because we really do not like doing it. I make a joke on my webinars that it is crazy to me that we are celebrated for being self-deprecating and talking right. ourselves down instead of celebrated for saying i'm really proud of myself like it's something that i'm on a mission to change in the uk i actually uh, recently sold the rights to the book in russia so that is the second market that it's all be definitely growing in i already know um the book so it's i have a uk book deal and a russian book deal wow and, and, and australia and australia okay. now so Interesting. I know that those those markets are definitely interested, but I you can order the book through Amazon and it just takes a little bit longer for whatever location right. you are. Um, so in, for example, I know people have got my book in, in the States, in Amsterdam, in um, Copenhagen. It's definitely growing across Europe. A lot of Spanish people, Italian people, they get in touch to say that they've got the book. So I'm always... So and people in like Singapore and Hong Kong like I am refreshingly surprised by how many people around the world are are resonating with it and I as much as it is a cultural issue and it'll definitely has been successful in the UK, I think the beauty of being humble is it's not necessarily that you know self-erosion hasn't ever been talked about before. it's the way that you do it. Because, yes, in the U.S., it is way more advocated for. And I say we need to be more like the people in the U.S. I absolutely Mm. say that. Just kidding. There is that that balance. And I do think the reason people in the U.K. avoid it is because they find people uh, that they've seen in the U.S. do it quite irritating or Mm. quite, quite abrasive. So for me, it really is about like giving people these structures to understand how to self-promote in a way that isn't going to piss people off and the way that you don't sound arrogant and I think there are lots of people lots of cultures that need this and I have people um, particularly like in the Muslim um, faith for example you know that they will talk about Uh, the fact that they are not... So I interviewed um, Nafisa Bakar for my book and she runs Amalia.com. And she, when I first asked her to be on my panel and be in the book, she was like, I actually don't, uh, being humble is a core value in my, my religion and in my faith and how I see the world. I don't think I'm right for this. And I was like, no, 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 that's not the the, the thing. It's it's how do you tell your story and how do you tell it in a a different way? So I think it's really interesting to understand how it is uh, absorbed by people and how it's interpreted. But I think it can be accessible to everyone. And if anything, because it is written for the UK market, I am probably considering more of the reservations than i would be if i was writing it for the u.s market and i was saying yeah just go have a great time go grab a megaphone you know like i'm writing it for a a market and an audience that are anti-self-promotion so i have to teach them the smaller steps which means it's a bit more palatable for people around the world
1: That sound means that it's the awkward moment where I'm gonna ask something of you. Yes, I'm going to self-promote myself because I'm tired of being humble, bitches. Just kidding, I didn't mean to call you a bitch. I'm so sorry, that was way out of line. But I do wanna ask something of you. If you like this show, if you like these stories, please rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Leave a favorable review, help me grow the show, share these episodes, share the Instagram page, Share the YouTube channel with anybody, somebody, somebody out there who needs to hear it, needs to see it, somebody who would benefit from Steph or Steph's work. That's all I ask. Just help me grow this podcast, and you will have done your job. So now back to the show. Do you know what this reminds me of? Did you ever listen to Pink Floyd? Are you familiar with their work at all? Going back for yeah. that, there's that lyric. And a pink, Floyd, I think it's Dark Side of the Moon, where they say hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. Do you believe that that's true? Do you think that there's truth to that?
0: I mean, I must do because I built my business right, exactly. based on you literally did.
1: people just sitting uh, yeah, there, literally. kind of bummed, just letting life happen to them and being generally yeah. dissatisfied with what's happening to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That and you know, look, I usually try and say this earlier on in a podcast interview, but. I, of course, believe in being humble and I, of course, believe in humility. Like, please don't mistake anybody listening. Please don't think that I don't see that as a really brilliant quality and a really admirable quality to have. Um, However, what I hate to see is people's being so modest, they miss out on opportunities. And that is something that I have observed, particularly in the UK market, is everybody waiting for opportunities to land on their lap rather than going to get going and getting them themselves. And I worked in ad agencies, and there is a culture of creative directors saying, you know, if your work's good enough, you know, you'll win an award and you'll get the press. And it, that was actually quite toxic, and it is still floating around, and it's something I'd love to challenge. It's crazy that we help brands, or when I went to advertise, we help brands sell their products through advertising, yet we won't advertise our own work. That for me is mind boggling. Um, And I think that's something that I've really tried to kind of shine a light on in in the UK to say like this, this is like, it doesn't make sense. Like, and when people do self-promote, my biggest frustration is belittling themselves in the process. So I I have a presentation where I talk about how to self-promote at work. And I talk about phrases that you need to stop saying are uh, humble brag alert. Or minor achievement announcement. I mean, why would you even say that? But they're the sorts of things that I see on LinkedIn in my network, and I'm like, you're you're literally, you know, you're going backwards. You, you may as well not self promote if that's how you're going to self promote. So there really is a big topic, a big discussion to be had on that. And I, and then, like I say, I think that's why it connects with people so instantly, because. No matter where you are in the world, we've all felt undervalued, unappreciated and overlooked. And unless you say to yourself, fuck being humble, I deserve this, I'm going to go claim this, you may not see those results. And and that's really the message I want people to take away.
1: Well, I just want you to know that that whole previous section, I'm gonna cut it out and I'm gonna start this podcast by saying that you hate humility as a blanket statement. (laughs) No context, I'm gonna say she hates humility. Uh, but that does bring up an interesting point. I mean, these days, with so many books on the shelves, shock value is the thing that people use. And I've thought about using Actually, I wrote an entire book with extreme shock value in a metaphor that I, I'm not sure will ever see the light of day, because I feel like I may have gone slightly too far talking about the 90s culture and shock value kind of thing. It's an entire book that it may just sit on my shelf. But I often wonder about that balance between being shocking and getting people to like the thing, because... You know, we're increasingly we're increasingly okay with people swearing and these kinds of things, but surely there are some people who maybe say that it's abrasive and maybe old-fashioned people who say, Do you really have to use the word fuck on your title? Like, is that really necessary? Uh, do you ever get those kinds of comments? Do you ever get any kind of pushback on the direction you've taken?
0: All the time. I would say I get trolled the most on LinkedIn. By white middle aged men of from course. America. That's what. Is, is yeah. the common denominator. Oh, from America. So,
1: Interesting. Well, yeah, yeah we are no, a very prudish that. country. Have, Puritanical roots.
0: Before, yeah, a week before my uh, book coming out, somebody messaged me called Chad, um which I, you know, is Of
1: course. Strange. Yeah, hilarious I'm already. I'm yeah, laughing already. Yeah.
0: Saying, um, you know, hi, Stephanie, I think I get what you're doing, but I have to tell you, you've chosen the worst business name ever, and I think you need to rethink it. Sure. Um, Which was an interesting piece of advice because uh, I never met this person and I would had a very successful business. I don't think I needed to rethink it. I had a woman comment on a post. I shared an event um, that I was hosting on how to change career directions, which sold out and did really well. And some woman posted... Wow, I'd love to be as narcissistic, self-centered and um, spoil. I think, as Stephanie. Where do I sign up? Beautiful. And she was about 50 women, women. The interesting one with that is she said the last the last descriptive word she used was powerful. And I shared it on Instagram and I was like, oh, gosh, like LinkedIn trolls that are the worst. You've got to laugh about them. And everybody messaged me back, like, why did she throw powerful in there? Because yeah. that's not a neg- that's not a criticism. It's almost like she'd given you five, you know, secret fantasy. Dis- and, right. And then she needs to just throw in like, oh, all right. Maybe one nice thing. It was it was quite bizarre. Uh, yeah, I get a lot of um, people. uh Giving me unsolicited advice or uh, you know, yeah, look, I'll be honest, my my mum, the first, you know, she, I I don't, I think I get like I love what you're doing, but you didn't need to put a swear word in it. Like, of right. course, like that's a natural reaction. Um, and I didn't need to, but I I felt it was appropriate because it was for me, what I think is so strong about the name, whether you like it or not, it is an emotional call to action that almost anyone can resonate with at some point in their life.
1: Yeah. So at
0: some point in your life, you need to say to yourself, or you will need to say to yourself, fuck being humble. I deserve this, you know, and w- whether it's F being humble or right. forget being humble, however you want to say it, it's a powerful sentiment. And, and that's why I, I'm not very apologetic sure. for it. In hindsight, um, Facebook and advertising block me from advertising of my course. Brand. I right. can't pay paid not media because friendly. it has a swear word. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: the The only benefit to that is that I'm proud to say that all of the following that you see is completely organic, which not many brands can say. Beautiful. Um, I've never done any paid advertising. Um, and the success, you know, from training 700 people in a year to selling out events and the book doing really well and reaching Russian markets that is not done through advertising. So that I am really proud of. Would I maybe do a swear word? I mean, I'm building my second business at the moment and there are no swear words present. Um, So that is one learning, but not, I wouldn't go back and do it differently. um, Even in, you know, with with the feedback that I've had from certain people, because for every 1% of people that give me their feedback that I didn't ask for you know 99% of people love it and I'm okay with not pleasing everyone because you can't please everyone when you build a challenger brand and I'm focused on the people that need to hear the words but being humble and the ones that instantly get it and I don't have to convince and I don't have to defend myself but everyone else you know I'm sure there are other more straight Straight brands that you can follow, and they are a bit more, you know, traditional. But that's not what this is, and I, I will never change that.
1: And I think you won't know that you've really arrived until you get hate from Kendrick Lamar, famous author of the song Humble. Exactly. Since you like your music exactly. references, Absolutely. right? um Well, all right. So let's dive a little bit personal. We don't, don't have a terrible amount of time, but I want to switch gears a little bit here, get you maybe a little bit out of this lane. Uh, so on a personal level, how satisfied are you with your life?
0: Wow. I don't think I've had that question. Exactly.
1: I know. I'm trying to break the script a little bit here for just a second.
0: You know what? I'm I'm so happy. You know, I I often have those kind of pinch me moments where I think if I died tomorrow, I would be really unbelievably proud of myself um, for all that I've achieved, not, you know, just in my career, but for what I have stood for and what I stand for in my business and what I advocate for and how I help people every day with their jobs and you know I worked in an industry for seven years selling people things they don't need and that was tough like I always knew I wanted to work in purpose-led communications it's really hard to find that if you work in ad agencies like it really is I think the only way you can really satisfied you can only really feel fulfilled is building your own purpose-led business because you will always be, you know, following the rules of a client or, you know, dictated by budgets or a business. But when you run your own business, anything goes. And that autonomy and freedom and the fact that it's all me is irreplaceable. You know, I I could never go back full-time. I don't think anymore. I I think it's, I've built something that has, has really changed people's lives. And, you know, when people ask me what my proudest achievements are with my career or my business, I, I, you know, there are loads of things. I made the Forbes under 30 list. I wrote a book at 27. You know, I, I did so many great things so early on. But actually, it's like when I run an event in London and, I, you know, I ran an event on navigating pay and asking for salaries, and the next day I was very near the event venue and someone tapped my shoulder and said, I was at your event last night. And I've already asked my boss for a pay rise. And I just like, I can't thank you enough. Like, thank you for changing my outlook and, and my future. And, and I cried like in the shop, you know, like I, that for me is, is that instantaneous, um, not just validation, but that you're seeing those results. Like I, you know, a lot of us work so hard and don't get to see that immediate impact. And I am just so grateful that I don't have to wait 20 years to see the impact I'm making. I don't need to wait until I get awarded something to know that I am positively changing people's lives and I am opening up opportunities and breaking down barriers for people all over the world. And and for me, yeah, like I say, I feel blessed and I have so much gratitude for anyone that has helped me on this journey to get to this point. Um, But most of all, I'm, I'm beyond proud of myself because actually it, I, none of this would have happened without me. And, you know, you can talk about, Oh, lucky person, right time, right place, zeitgeist, all of those things, but it all comes from the individual that makes that happen. And, and I am that that person that's made this happen.
1: Yes, definitely. Definitely. You know, and it's it's great that you mentioned the transition specifically because that's a thought that has occurred to me many times. Bill Hicks was a comedian that lived in the U S very cynical comedian back in the I think 80s or 90s but he has a little bit he had a bit where he would ask people is anybody in the audience here in advertising or in marketing some people would raise their hand he'd say okay great kill yourselves make the world a better place because there is you know people who believe in the planet who believe in let's say positive things that aren't destroying our world there is always a tension between advertisers pushing more crap on people, plastic crap, harmful crap, polluting crap, all of this kind of stuff. So it's interesting that you have noted that change. Do you feel uh, that your own life, that, that do you look back on the time in advertising and think that I could never do that again? I mean, obviously, you develop the skills. Don't get me wrong. Like, the skills are critical towards, you know, building a mission of value. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I come from a marketing background. I'm trying to think, how can I amplify better messages instead of just helping Somebody sell more shit. Do you think differently about your work in that time now?
0: It's a that's a really good question, and and I think I actually don't think I've had that question put to me. I don't think differently because I knew it was never settling with me well anyway. In in that moment, so when I was at university, I wrote a blog on advertising. Again, it was it was terrible, and it's hidden in the depths of the internet, so no one can find it. But it almost immediately. What I realized was the things that I was were blogging were were purpose led communications. I I knew from graduating that I wanted to work on advertising that would change the world, and I tried to move. Ev- I moved six. I moved to six different jobs in seven years, and every time I was searching for that fulfillment of. Maybe I'll work on a bigger brand that's going to get the opportunity to give back to the world or maybe I'll get a part of that or, you know, and I would say in my very final, the last agency I worked for was a purpose-led agency, Um, you know, it worked specifically on really important campaigns and messages. So I would say I kind of got there, but I also know that, you know, it's, it all, it's a business and you, it, it only is as charitable and uh, you know purpose-led as it as it can be because there are multiple parts to a business and that's not throwing any shade to any companies I've ever worked at but I knew from the outset something didn't sit with me with selling the things I was selling or the types of work I was working on Um, not to say that the experiences I had weren't unbelievable you know I shot tv ads on beaches in LA I've been to whiskey distilleries in Scotland I have done some incredible work and stuff that I'm I am proud of the output (laughs) but I'm not sure I was ever happy with the situation which is why I kept leaving and I kept moving jobs and it was only until I built my own business did I find that sense of fulfillment so I wouldn't go back I'm not regretful or embarrassed of the work that I did because generally the work that I worked on you know was wasn't bad you know I wasn't selling cigarettes to people I wasn't telling people to gamble there wasn't I didn't have terrible clients, but I definitely know the fulfillment came once I I stepped away and built my own my own brand and stopped selling people other people's ideas when I had my own that were worthy to be worthy enough to be sold.
1: Very well said. I completely agree with everything that you just said. Uh, you have built one of these virtuous triangles. These things that I love so much. So you've got three components. You've got a public speaking component. You've got your workshops component. And you've got your book sales component. Now, we know that each dollar earned, they're not all equal. What is the piece of that that brings you the most joy of those three? Which dollar earned from which category makes you the happiest and why?
0: So I think, I actually think it's a slightly different triangle. Oh, okay. Please, by all means. I like it. Public speaking and workshop are the same thing. Okay. So they're the same entity. Um, the book yet yeah, is one one output, and I would say actually brand partnerships is where my other revenue stream comes from and where I'm moving more towards. Um, I've actually just been signed by a talent agent that will manage a lot of that and you know, go out there to find brand partnerships to spread the message. I am I said at the beginning, and I, you know I'll say it now, like I'm a public speaker. I come alive when I speak. I have given five talks in the past three days and I'm exhausted, but I I get that buzz. And actually, the reason I realized that was uh, most recently was I was quiet for a few weeks. I'd got back from holiday. I was quiet and I really felt a sense of lull. I was worried about, you know, maybe I don't love this business anymore. Maybe I'm not into this. Maybe I've run out of things to say. And it was because I hadn't, I didn't have many talks. And actually, as soon as I'm back into it, even though it's exhausting and even though I am absolutely, you know, ready to go to bed at nine o'clock, the talks give me that sense of fulfillment because I know that I'm reaching masses every day, helping them with their future. And that, that for me is an immediate impact. The book was a really enjoyable experience to write. Um, but I have to say it was quite anticlimactic at coming out because it came out in the pandemic. I didn't get to have a launch. I didn't get to have a tour. I didn't get to do half the things I wanted to do. Um, although, you know, hoping to do those like, uh, sooner maybe this year instead. But for me, like I, and I mean this and I don't mean to sound ungrateful at all, but being an author is, uh, one of my many things that I am but not the thing that I define my worth or my success on. So when I was writing my book and I had huge amounts of imposter syndrome, can I do this? Should I do this? Who am I to be writing a book? I had to say to myself, the own all that I need to remember is if one person reads this, that's all that matters. I don't care if I don't make the Sunday Times bestsellers. I don't care if it's not my only income revenue stream. You know, I that isn't, I'm not basing my life success on that output. That is one of many things that I do. And I am so grateful that I got to write a book and I have that legacy. And I have the fact that my my thinking will be out in the world forever, although slightly embarrassing with some of the things I did include in the book. But it's not, it's not my only thing. So public speaking is 100% where it comes to life, where I enjoy my job the most. But I have really just enjoyed working. I've started working on brand partnerships. And actually, one, what I like about that is the fact that I can amplify my message much bigger and quicker and faster But two, how I can be working with brands to help them help others. And that's really the sweet spot when I was talking to my talent agent. I was like, you're not just getting an influential person, a a talent like me. You're getting my seven years of advertising. So when we pitch to a brand, I am thinking strategically. I'm not thinking about getting likes on Instagram. So uh, this year, I launched the Fuck Being Humble Fund, where I donate £100 a month to a Black or Asian creative to build or launch their own ideas. Um, And that is, as a small business owner, something that I wanted to do to show my commitment and also show the support to minority groups and people that I don't think always have the access to opportunities as other people do. Now, my big goal is I want to get loads of brands to do the same. You know, I want to go to brands and go, Okay, if I'm giving, you know, a hundred pounds a month, you should be giving 10 grand a month and you should be giving a thousand pounds and you should be giving five thousand pounds. So actually, what I'm really excited about is taking this amazing brand that i've built and product that i've built and all these ideas that maybe i as a one woman show haven't had the capacity or the capabilities to action is actually going to brands and going okay time for you to pull up a seat time for you to put money where your mouth is and let's actually make this this bigger and better and help more people so you know they all take a lot of boxes i've come alive with public speaking but i think my mind is most excited by the opportunity to bring brands on board and help change futures for the better on a much larger global scale.
1: That's beautiful. Completely agree. And I can see that passion in your face when you talk about it. So that's awesome to hear. Great answer. Great answer. You nailed it. So we've reached basically the end of our hour here, but I have one final question to ask as a parting question. What is an example in your life where you went against the grain, where you did something that was against conventional wisdom or something that you believe that nobody else believed that benefited you?
0: I mean, am I allowed to say self-promotion? That that is, you know. No, it's forbidden. I think
1: that's... You can say whatever you want to say.
0: That's been... Self-promotion and advocating for myself has been something I've been good at for a very long time. And I have had friends and peers take the piss out of me. I have had bosses call me up and say, what are you doing? This You should stay in your lane. You shouldn't be doing all of these things. I think it has been why I have seen such quick growth in in both my career. You know, I I was director level at age 28. I, I made the Forbes list. I did all of these things because... I wasn't afraid of advocating for myself and that has been something that I think I've always gone against the grain with that I, I do have my dad I think to thank for that he is probably the most um lovable and like the biggest hype man in my life um I've got lots of hype people but he has from a young age, always taught me like, no, you're not just doing that. You're doing this. And, you know, really helped me to see that you can, there is one way you can tell a story or there's a slightly more captivating way to tell a story. And I think, yeah, like it definitely through university, through the jobs I've had, particularly working in the advertising industry, where it's cooler to be all self-deprecating and moody and, you know, I'll be, I'll be famous when I win an award. I was always like, no, that's that's bullshit. Like that's that's not the way that this is gonna help you. And I think I did have quite a lot of conversations where people would mock me or challenge me or um say, you know, like, oh, it's a bit cheesy and all of those things. But I suppose maybe I'm I'm the one laughing now, really, you know, like I'm the one that has stepped away from maybe some of those people that didn't weren't aligned with those values and i've thrown everything into a business and demonstrated why everything i was saying all those years actually is is true so i think that's probably a really big big factor um that i is you know i've probably lived by my entire life really
1: All right. Well, that's that's a great answer. Now we have we need a sound bite for the TikTok generation. So best piece of advice. Go.
0: Don't let somebody else tell you what you're capable of doing. So the worst thing that you can listen listen to is somebody saying to you, no, I think you should do that or stay in your lane. You know, don't let anybody ever stop you from achieving what you think you're capable of doing, because they're generally holding you down and you never want to look back in regret and think I could have been doing this sooner.
1: Well, that's it. That's the end of the show. The podcast is officially over. Well, that was quite an interview. My head is still reeling. What an impressive story and what an impressive woman Steph Sword Williams is. She clearly has a great sense of determination and she clearly is somebody who does not take no for an answer. Her grit and her sheer stick is palpable. It's something that I deeply admire. So again, if you've enjoyed her story, you can support her obviously by buying her book, Fuck Being Humble, you can find her website, support her mission, or attend one of her events if you're in the UK or in Europe. But other than that, all I ask is that if you enjoy this show, remember that it takes considerable work and time to put this show together for you each week and to find these people and to bring you their stories. If it has presented you with any value at all, if it has inspired you at all, Rate the show right now, five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Find Ross Palmer on YouTube. Subscribe on Instagram. Share the content with anybody who needs to see this episode. That's all I ask of you. Help me grow this show together with you. So thank you for listening, and I will see you next week on the Beat the Off Path podcast. I'm Ross Palmer.